If you got your Bibles, turn to Acts 17. So we are not, if you brought your book, we are actually skipping the session for uh, this week. Um, let me pray. Sorry, Hannah. I'm sorry. Let me pray, and we will jump in. I'm thankful we only have one verse, and I have no notes today because I forgot my glasses. <laughs> Lord, thank you so much for um, just the opportunity to uh, come here on a Wednesday night and pause, reflect on you, reflect on your word. God, open our eyes to see wonderful things here. Remind us of the joy that we can find in your word. Remind us of the magnitude of your glory that we get a picture of in your word. And I pray, God, that as we talk about eagerness tonight and, 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 and why we maybe don't study the scriptures, that you would draw our hearts um, in and that you would cause us to open up our Bibles and see it with new eyes, fresh eyes, by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So Acts 17. Um, so yeah, so one of the cool things about Acts is we get a picture at churches that Paul had planted, kind of starting up and some of the things that Paul did to start these churches. Uh, one of the cool things about Scripture as a whole is some of these churches that Paul started, uh, that Luke, because Luke is actually the writer of this book, that Luke tells us about in the book of Acts, Paul actually, we actually get a picture of how that church kind of grows because Paul writes to that church later and it's another book of scripture. So like a picture of that is in the beginning of Acts 17, we see um, Paul plant a church in a town called Thessalonica. And Thessalonica is a city um, near a town called Berea. So uh, have you ever heard of Berea or Thessalonica? Raise your hand. I'm just curious. Okay. Does anybody remember the Berean bookstore in Peoria that got closed down? Hey, so that's named after the, the city that we're talking about today. We're going to talk about the Bereans a little bit. Um, but so Thessalonica is this really unique situation because Paul actually goes in to share the gospel and he gets met with like tons of hostility. Now people come to Christ, but again, uh, there's tons of hostility kind of coming from the Jews in the city. I don't know if you've picked up on this, but pretty much almost every city that we've seen Paul interact with he goes in, he begins to, to talk about Jesus and talk about what Jesus accomplished and talk about how, how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament, that all of the Old Testament scriptures that the Jews uh, read about and were taught every, every Saturday, which was their Sabbath, that all of those scriptures pointed to Jesus. And Jesus was the Messiah, that was, that was the only way for them to be saved, that he was God's anointed king over Israel, that Jesus will reign for all of eternity and this kind of like made the Jews mad. So I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's this kind of pattern in the book of Acts. If Paul goes into a city, he starts talking about Jesus. Uh, some people come to faith in Christ, but then he's met with opposition from the Jewish people. And then he's kind of, they kind of rouse up the crowds of people that are in that city that are not only Jews, but other people and kind of run them out of town. They go to the next town. The same thing kind of happens again. Um, and this has kind of been the pattern, especially through this middle part of the book of Acts. And one of the interesting things that we see is we see this transition. The Bereans in Acts 17 give us a picture that looks very different from the rest of the churches that we've interacted with because um, of, of this verse right here, uh, verse 11. So I'm going to read verse 10, and then we'll have verse 11 up there. So as soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away. So they sent Paul away from the city of Thessalonica, 
and they uh, sent them away to Berea. And upon arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. So just like all the other towns, right, they go into the synagogue of the Jews. The synagogue was the place of worship. Every Saturday in the synagogue, what would happen is um, kind of like a Sunday morning, they would, uh, the Jewish people would gather together and they would do a scripture reading. And so they would actually read uh, from three places in the Old Testament. They would read from the law. So they would have a reading from the first five books of the Bible. And then they would read from the prophets, which is basically the collective word to summarize the rest of the Old Testament other than the Psalms. And then they would have a reading from the Psalms. And so they would read a passage from each of these sections of the Old Testament. And then what they would actually do is they didn't have like, so like here, if you go to another church on Sunday, you probably have the same guy, here it's Dave, get up on a Sunday morning and explain the scripture that was read. Whatever the scripture is, whatever scripture is that was read, the, the pastor gets up and they explain it. But they don't just explain it, right? It's, it's, it's not this like, okay, it says this and we're done. No, no, no. It, it says this, it means this, and this is how we as God's people are called to respond to what God's word says. And So the pastor every, every Sunday faithfully gets up and, and, and does that. They read the scripture, they explain the scripture to us, they give us the meaning of it, they help us understand it. But then not only that, they, they bridge the gap between the 2,000-year time period, between the time that it was written and now, and they, and they say, okay, now how is God calling us as, as a church body? How is God calling us to respond to what he has told us through his word today? And that, that happens faithfully every Sunday in churches all over the world. Jews, it was a little different. They would read, and then like a random person would get up and, like, if they got a word from the Lord or they had a word of encouragement based on the passage that was read, like, anybody who was known as a teacher in the community could get up and share. So Paul is known as a Pharisee, which is a teacher of the law. So anywhere he traveled, he was actually invited up by the synagogue to share in public. So it was, it was kind of different. So it was like if, if you know, kind of like how we have guest speakers on a Sunday morning here or, you know, if we, you know, we have quite a few people in the body here at Crosspoint that, that are, you know, capable of teaching. And so it's, it, it would be almost as if, like, somebody would read a passage on Sunday morning and then kind of any one of those teachers, whichever one kind of felt like it, could get up and say something. And that's how the synagogue life kind of went. And so this happened. They read in the synagogue. Uh, they read the scripture in the synagogue. Paul and Silas got up to teach. And then this happened. The people here were of more noble character than in Thessalonica. This is verse 11. It's on the board since they received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So they heard with eagerness, and this eagerness caused them, moved them toward the scriptures to, to, to examine them, to, to look at them, to, to test the things that Paul and Silas were saying up against the filter of the word of God to see if what he was talking about was actually true, to see if Jesus was the Messiah. And it says these things in this passage, and that's referring back to earlier in Acts 17 when Paul is in the synagogue of Thessalonica and he says, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Reasoning with them and proving that it was necessary for Jesus to suffer and rise from the dead. And so Paul was preaching this message, explaining these things to the people in Berea. He was saying that Jesus is the Messiah and that it was necessary it was required that the Messiah would come, would suffer, and die, and rise from the dead. And so that was kind of the basis of what he was talking about um, in the synagogue. And the Bereans received it with eagerness. And this eagerness moved them toward the word of God to take what Paul said 
and look in the scriptures themselves to see if these things were true. And the Bible actually says that these people, because they did this, they had noble character. Now, why are we spending so much time in this verse? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Um, one is, this is something that I was personally convicted of uh, as I was away at this conference last week. God just kind of worked in my own heart and stirred up some things as to how I've been not approaching the word of God with eagerness. But then also, as I, as I you know, spent time away and just began praying, and where we are in the book of Acts, we just so conveniently are right here. Um, last week, the message was in Acts 16. Next week, the message is in Acts 18. Um, and so we find ourselves this week looking at Acts 17. And um, this is a very, very, very interesting passage for us, and I think a timely one, because the reality is, for each of us, I believe that many of us, when we open up our Bible, we are quite bored. We're bored. I think we can be honest. I know I, I, there, there are many mornings when I get up to study the scriptures or to, to read the scriptures, right? Because we could read the Bible, right? We could just kind of open it up like a book, just read it. Or we could, um, we could study it, right? We can memorize it. We can meditate on it. We can apply it. These are all, all, all these things we can do with the Bible. Typically, if we're honest though, of all those things, what we usually do is we read it. We don't, we, don't, we don't take the time to study it, which is not like required every day, but some sort of regular extended time kind of wrestling with maybe a smaller passage of Scripture in more detail is very valuable for us. And so like, but we don't, we don't study it. Um, very, very few of us actually make the effort to memorize Scripture, myself included. Um, I was convicted of that, and so this week I started memorizing Deuteronomy 7-9. Um, and hopefully, the, my goal is, is every week this year, I'm going to try to memorize a new verse in the Bible, um, specifically focusing on the promises of God. Um, you know, praying that God would bring these things to mind as I struggle and am tempted, or whatever things in the world, or I'm scared or afraid or whatever, but, but to memorize Scripture, I was challenged of this. And uh, Meditation is one of the most valuable things. I would say meditation is the most valuable thing we can do with our time in the Word. And so if, we, if all of our devotional time is spent reading, like say, you know, you're like, I got 20 minutes to read my Bible, so I'm going to read a chapter or two chapters or three chapters. And then you, you read it and you're done. If you're anything like me and you do that, because I do that, I shut my Bible, I get up, and about five minutes later I forget everything that I, I read. And um, I heard it put this way, that each of these things that we do, especially like reading the Bible, um, how many of you guys drink tea? I, I like tea. Does anybody in here drink tea? So like, think of it this way. So if the word of God, if we are like a cup of water and the word of God is like a tea bag, what happens is this, is we, we read it for 20 minutes in a day and it's like taking the tea bag and just kind of like that, right? And then we, we might um, study it a little bit here and there. So we'll, you know, we'll dip it a couple times and do that. Or we might memorize a passage or two or try to memorize a passage or two and we do that again, but it's when we, when we meditate on it, it's like taking that tea, that tea bag and just and letting it steep and steep and steep and steep. And then all of a sudden what you find is that you're pulling so much out of it and it's affecting you in different ways and more profound ways than it would have just kind of dunking the tea bag in there. And so that's, that's the value of meditation. But in order for us to get to meditation, what happens is we, 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 we need to see what this book actually is. See, I think, I think many of us get bored with the Bible because we don't, 
we don't see these as the very words of God. Like deep down, somewhere, like in ourselves, we just, it's another book. Or we see it as like this list of rules that God has given us, and that just doesn't sound nice. Or we see it as this encyclopedia of topics to help me deal with my problems. So like, if I'm struggling with my relationship with my girlfriend, well, what, what does the Bible say about dating and being a husband? So I open it up to that passage, wherever it is, and I, and I try to find everything the Bible has to say about this topic, and, and that's when I'm really getting in the Word. Or when I say, uh, I'm struggling with anger, like, man, what does the Bible say about anger? So I open up the Bible, I look up everything about anger, and this isn't bad, but if that's our steady diet of the Scriptures, we're just, just barely dunking that tea bag in there. And so what I love about the Bereans is they had eagerness. Now let me ask you something. What are some things that you have eagerness for, just personally? Snacks? Snacks. Yeah. Food? Music? What else? Huh? Yeah. You're excited for the weekend. Like, woo, Friday, right? And it's okay to be excited. Like, it's not, it's not bad. It's not bad to be excited about food or, or music. What else are we eager for? Yeah. Dude, there's nothing like a, a glass of chocolate milk at like 3 a.m. when you wake up in the middle of the night. It's so good. Yeah. Mm. Good for the soul. Chocolate milk. Isn't that your favorite drink? Chocolate milk? Yeah, I thought it was. You don't like chocolate milk? Yeah. Okay. Have you ever had peanut butter chocolate milk? It tastes like a liquid Reese's. It's delicious. It is. It's good. Because I can. I don't. Why not? Because the worst thing that's going to happen is it's going to taste bad and I'm going to spit it out. So I might as well try it. What else? What else are we eager for? What? Huh? 4.30? Yeah, when you get off work? Yeah. Hi. I like your hat. Yeah. Um, what about sports? There's a few of you guys who play sports in here, right? We're eager for sports. Like, we run out. If you're Eli, you literally run out because you run. Um, but we're excited. We're, we're, we're eager. There's like this deep-hearted passion in us that motivates us to pursue these things even when they're hard. Like, Luca, you're learning to play an, uh, an instrument, right? Yeah. Do you get joy out of that? So even when it gets difficult, because of the joy that you get out of it, you still Keep going, right? You don't just give up on guitar because your fingers hurt. Like, you, you press on through that. You get them calluses. You keep going, right? Like, that's just how it, how it works. Um, there's actually a picture, and I'm going to put you on the spot. I love the picture of your leg after you got stabbed when you were running, when you got, like, cleated by somebody. Because you, you didn't stop. I'm sure running was substantially more painful after you got stabbed in the leg. Maybe. Maybe not. Huh? Oh, see, you're just a boss like that. The adrenaline was going and, and all that. Yeah. But, but like, even in sports or whatever, like, I, I, lift, I love lifting weights when I actually am not lazy and I get the opportunity to get into the gym. And it, when it's, like, hard is the moment when you're supposed to press harder than you ever have before. And it's, it's like that with anything. Let me ask you this. What thing in your life is worthwhile that isn't hard? Can you think of one thing in your life that's completely worthwhile and significant. That's not difficult. One. Sleeping is super difficult. 
I think, okay, maybe sleeping. Anything while you're conscious that's worthwhile, that's not hard. Eating, okay, waking up, eating, chocolate milk, okay. Let me, let me, let me rephrase the question. Yes. I'm going to punch all of you because you just ruined my question. But seriously, what did you say? Obviously not. It was a terrible question. It didn't even, it didn't even work. It's just like, <laughs> done. But think about it. Like, what in your life is worthwhile that's not hard besides all the things that you just said? <laughs> like school. School is school's hard. It is. It's hard. But it's worth it. It is worth it. And if you say it's not worth it, I'm going to smack you in the face. Seriously, I'm, come here. I know your mother, so I can, I can do that, okay? So, so here's, here's the deal. School's hard. It is hard. But it's worth it. What about friendship? It's hard. Dating. It's hard, right? Marriage is hard. We just had a great conversation with Pastor Dave last night about how hard our marriage is. Because it's hard, it's hard, it's difficult. But it's in the difficulty that you grow closer together. Same with friendship. Friendships get better when things get tough because you get closer together in that difficulty. Work, that paycheck's worth it. But it sucks working in the cold. It's hard. Why do we, why do we expect anything different from our faith? Why would we expect anything different? We know that the things in this life are, that are worth it are work, worth working hard for. And yet when it comes to our faith, we are lazy. And I'm not saying this to like guilt trip you and beat you over the head. I'm just saying this to say like, let's, let's like wake up to this reality that, that, that faith in Christ is not easy. It's not easy, but it's worth it. And the, and the only way that we can grow in our faith is with eagerness. Because when we have eagerness, that's what pushes us through the difficulty. It pushes us through the difficulty. Reading your Bible is hard. Prayer is hard. Sharing the gospel, not easy. These things are difficult things. But they're simple things. They're hard. Because it takes time. You're not going to master the Bible in 10 minutes. You're not going to master the Bible in a lifetime. You might be able to master a book of the Bible in a lifetime. But this is, this, look, the, the, the mind behind this word is infinite. There's no way you're going to grasp this much of it. But we take what we can get and we treasure it. And that's why it's, it's so huge to recognize, like, your creator, the one who knows you more than anybody else, has given you this word as a gift so that you can know him explicitly with detail. Not have this like general, vague understanding of who God is, but a deep connection with him, to know him intimately. And that reality stirs up in us an eagerness to pursue Christ. And that eagerness comes as we rely on and trust in Jesus. So it's this very interesting thing where as we, as we trust in Christ, as we, as we rely on the Spirit's power at work in, our, in us, our, our eagerness grows. And it's a moment where we kind of push those things out where our eagerness begins to die. 
And we no, we no longer have this, this deep longing and treasure for the word. So what I want to do is this. There's a couple things that, so if you have a phone, like you can do one of two things. You can take a picture of this slide or you can write down that phone number. But basically what that phone number is, is I'm going to kind of keep that phone number in front of you for a while. But that is a number that you can text questions you have about the Bible anytime anonymously. The only way I'm going to know is if you put your name in the text message, like, hey, this is from Addie, or whatever. But any question you have about the scriptures, you can text that number. And what I will do is I will not text you back immediately and give you an answer. That's not what this is for. What it is for, though, is to give us, as leaders, an idea of what's on your mind so we know what helps you from the front of the room. Because here's the deal. I do not want to open this on a Wednesday night unless it's going to make a difference in your life. And if I believe that this is the very word of God and that these words have been given to us by the creator, then they will. They will. But I want to help you know this, that you can ask difficult questions. I want you to know that. One of the things that drives me crazy, in a good way and a bad way, drives me crazy, is when we're in here on a Sunday night, or Wednesday night, because middle schoolers do it too, and I ask a question from the front of the room, and there's like nothing, like crickets. Crickets. And I know you guys have tons and tons and tons and tons of questions about the Bible. I know that because in personal one-on-one conversation, you've asked them. But what I want to do here is I want to create an environment where these questions are safe to ask. Where you can ask a question here and not have to worry about what dude or the girl sitting next to you is thinking. To know that you can ask questions here and not be judged. Not be thought less of. Because the reality is many of the questions on your mind that you're afraid to ask, everybody else is already thinking. Or everybody else already wants to ask. It's all on our minds, the question, why does evil exist? If God is so good, why, why, why do these things happen? If God is in control, why doesn't he just save everybody? Like These are legitimate questions that I, I, I truly believe. If we begin to ask these questions of ourselves and of the scriptures, it will get us into the word with eagerness as we wrestle with these things. So like for me, I want to talk about it. So like after this book, we're done with the books. I've deemed that God has called us elsewhere to, to begin really getting specific on some things that you guys want to learn about. I want to talk about what you want to learn about. I want to show you where it's at in here. I want it to be based on this and around this and surrounded by this, but, but I really think it would be good to, to get into here and really wrestle with some things. Maybe some of you want to know how to get more time out of your Bible reading. Let's talk about it on a Wednesday night. Maybe you want to know, like, man, how do I pray? Well, let's talk about it on a Wednesday night. Like practically, what are some strategies that you can do in your life to, to grow in that discipline of prayer? Or maybe you want like some real hands-on training on what does it look like for me to invest in my friends? Help me do that. I want to do that. I want to do everything I can to make that happen. Leaders want to do everything they can to make that happen. We want that to be true of you. Here's the crazy thing. Absolutely nothing we do is going to help that happen. Eagerness surrounding the word of God only comes by the power of God. So if you want eagerness, ask God for it. Ask him to give you an eagerness to read and study and grow in the word. Like ask him. 
I dare you. I dare you. See what happens. I dare you. A triple dog dare you. Try it. See what happens. I used to hate reading books. Um, now I love reading books because I asked God to give me a love for reading because I, I wanted to learn more about him. And so I wanted to study not just the word of God, but other men and women of God who have written about him and learn from them and learn, learn the things that they're getting out of this because they're going to get different things than I am and I, I can learn from that. And so I began praying around uh, November, December last year for God to stir up in my heart a deep love for reading. Now, I, I love reading books. It's not like anything that I've done. It's the supernatural power of God at work through prayer. So if you want eagerness, if you want to grow in the faith, like ask God, tell God these things. He wants you to. That is a prayer that he loves to answer. It's a prayer of righteousness, saying, God, I, I, I want to become more like Jesus. I want to be made more godly by your spirit and the power of your word and, 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 and saying these things to God. And it's not magic words. Because here's the deal, if you want to do that, that desire has been implanted in you by God for you to stir up and work up that desire in prayer and as you study the Bible, as you read the Bible, as you meditate on the Bible. So here's the deal, we, we want to see this happen. So we want to do everything we can to make that happen. We need your help to make that happen. So jump in, dive in. So for the rest of the time, what I want to do is we're going to split up into some groups. And there's just a few questions I want to talk about. They're super simple questions. Uh, one of them is, is there any fear you have as it relates to asking questions about the faith? I know for me, sometimes I don't want to ask questions because I think somebody's going to think I'm dumb. It's a legitimate fear. So what kinds of things would you like to talk about around here? Like what, what things interest you? What do you want to know about the scriptures? How can we help you learn more about the scriptures how can we help you feel comfortable asking questions and um, how do you think talking about difficult questions will help you grow so that like that's what we're talking about we're going to spend the rest of the time it's about 20 minutes just talking about these things so um if you want to we can split girls and guys up we'll do that um girls can go hang out on the couches or whatever and i can come get you when we're done or uh when you hear music we'll be done but um, I just want to take some time and talk about these things. So uh, leaders, come up and grab a stack of questions for me, and we'll jump in.